Welcome to Look-See, the podcast for anyone and everyone curious about the art, the artists, and the creative community in Richmond and beyond. I'm Paige Goodpasture. Irvin A. Johnson's arresting, large-scale, photo-based work is rooted in his personal experiences as a queer black man. Hashtag In Honor is a series of photographic mixed-media portraits that represent Johnson's visceral response to racism and to police brutality done to the black body. Johnson began In Honor around the time of the Trayvon Martin and Eric Garner protests as a way to make his own voice heard. He wants these portraits to stand as a forceful and visceral reminder of the strength, resiliency, and beauty of the black body. This series of work is a striking presence on the walls of a Candela Gallery, where Irvin and I met to talk about his work. So I am here today at Candela Gallery with Irvin Johnson, and we are here to talk about your series of work, Irvin, called Hashtag in honor, mm-hmm. which is on view at Candela right now. This work is really incredibly diverse. We're sitting in this small room in the back of Candela right now with very small, almost iconic, meaning like religious icons, mm-hmm. pieces that are collaged portraits. And then in the front two galleries are these very large scale photo based pieces, mixed media photography-based pieces that are just give a whole different sense, and they're all part of the same series. I'd love to start out talking with you a little bit about how this project got started. What is its origin story? Mm-hmm. It began, I always tell the story, it began with my mom um, coming into my room at the end of the Trayvon Martin case. The sentencing had just happened, and at this point I had just I had stopped watching because uh, I knew where the story was going to end. So she walked into my room and she just stared at me uh, for a long time and then she left. And then a couple days later, we had a discussion about what was going on in her head and she started crying again. She said that she felt like as a mother, she couldn't protect me. A lot of my friends were going out that year, that summer and protesting and they would invite me to marches and I wouldn't attend because I felt like my voice didn't really matter and that nothing that I could have done would have changed the outcome of that case or any case after that. So after that moment with my mother, I went back to school and I was finishing up my thesis work and it just, I couldn't take it anymore. And I just felt like I had to do something, had to make something to add to that story to maybe alter the course of it. And that's when I thought of somehow making portraits that could be utilized and that could exist outside of a gallery space that would amplify the voices of my generation. You mentioned that the uh, portraits, your original thought was that they could be used outside of the gallery Mm -hmm. space. And I know that this project has three current phases, and I think you mentioned that you're, you're working on ideas for another, but so can you talk a little bit about the phases? So phase one was creating these large-scale portraits that Mm -hmm. we see in the front of the gallery. 
So soon after that, I went to New York for the New York Times portfolio review. And one of the people that I met with, I was explaining to my idea about moving the work outside of a gallery space. And she mentioned the idea of uh, wheat pasting. And the school that I attended, SCAD, is really big on collaboration. And so I went back to Atlanta and collaborated with a friend on making posters that had like very bold texts and that invited people to participate in this movement that I was trying to start. The second iteration of In Honor actually moves the work out of the gallery space onto the street um, with weed paste posters. I actually made the posters available for download for people to do whatever they wanted to. I wanted to take the work out into the world so that people could use it. So after you decided to take the work out into the world, did you, did you actually post it uh, yes, so I took it out to the infamous Crog Street Tunnels in Atlanta, which is this space that's like known for graffiti uh, and just like public art. So I posted the work there just to see what the city's reaction would be. And then after that, I think a year later, took it to Chicago also. So what was the reaction? Um, hmm. it's, it's been a mix um, of emotions, I think. For the most part, people receive it well. They're very interested in encountering those portraits like outside of a gallery space. But then there's also, of course, people that like deface them or would like scratch out the part that included the message about the intentions of the work. And that was to be expected. What message or messages did you include with the work when you posted it publicly? Like statistics about uh, police brutality, a link to my website, I think, uh, was just like instructions on how to like print the posters out if people wanted to do that, and uh, the hashtag. And so that was phase two of this project, mm-hmm. right? Phase one is, or was, are you still creating these large scale portraits? Yes. Okay. Yes. So phase one is, was, is, is continuing to be these large scale portraits. Mm -hmm. So they're photography based. Mm -hmm. They begin, I assume, with a photograph, a portrait style photograph of of a person of color. And then you add, take away, take away, add. Mm -hmm. I'd love to talk about that, about your process, because I'm really interested in how you create the thing that ends up on the wall. It Mm -hmm. is so incredibly moving and beautiful. It evokes so many emotions all at the same time, each of them do, and I'd love to hear about. So so who are the people in the portraits, I guess, would be the first question. It started off uh, as this group of friends that I just wanted to come and like try to work the ideas out with. And every time after that, it became just like this gathering of people. I would send out calls via social media, letting everybody know what the project was about and what I was interested in. And it just it would turn always into this gathering of, or more of a meeting of the minds, where people could come and voice their frustrations and see the work in progress and participate if they wanted to. So it sounds like maybe the process of making the portraits in the first place and gathering the people together for that portrait making was and is a collaboration of sorts between absolutely. you and, and the people mm-hmm. who are in the portraits? Yes, absolutely. So once you have the the portrait and you have created the print, mm-hmm. then where did you go with it from there? Well, I had spent about uh, four or five years at that point experimenting with renegotiating the print. As far as okay. the print is concerned, I was interested in renegotiating um, the surface of it and 
also during that time figuring out what that meant for me and for the work. Um, and I think that this is the culmination of four years of practice and all of my ideas coming together and everything really working out uh, as far as technique goes. And so you would take the print and then when you say renegotiating the print, mm-hmm. what did that, what does that involve with this particular series? Well, initially it was all about adding things to it. I didn't really take anything away. Uh, later in my experimentation, I learned that by using solvents, and it depends on what the paper type is, what, uh, as far as like which solvent would be most effective. I learned that you could remove and renegotiate and allow things to settle and that some of them would lift things off. And that was really interesting. I mean, part of what is interesting to me about looking at these pieces is thinking about what has been removed and what has been added back and what that might mean to you mm-hmm. as the artist and what you might be wanting to communicate to the viewer. Is it an intuitive process when you get in your studio with these prints and you are deciding what to take away and what to add back? Are you intentionally focusing on maybe a kind of a meta message? It's really a combination of all of that. I never go into a session knowing what I want to remove or what I'm exactly trying to say with that specific portrait. Definitely always inspired by that person's face or what I find to be most unique about their face. And then also, I'm creating these works in real time while things are happening as as far as police brutality, so they're also inspired by those moments. I distinctly recall the Sandra Bland case and going to work in my studio because I was so frustrated. And also I was kind of bored with the direction of the work. That was a moment in which like I went, that work started to go in another direction. So part of what you do, so you add paint Mm -hmm. to the surface of the work. And, but you consider yourself more of a photographer? Yes. What does the paint add for you? What does that process add for you in terms of, of your interaction with the work, both for yourself as well as for how you want people to experience it? Well, while researching for my thesis work, I came across a lot of abstract expressionists and I really clung to the idea that you have to physically interact with the canvas. And up until that point, I didn't really have a reason for the painting. I was just interested in merging those two mediums. And so when I found out about that movement and what it required of the painters and also how that work ended up as far as like its final look, I, would, I thought that that fit perfectly with what I was trying to discuss. And then it was at that moment that I realized that like the painting was necessary and also an equal part of the work, so, yeah. It's interesting that you mention abstract expressionists because I hadn't really gone there in my head, but now that you mention it, I had gone there in my heart because <laughs> it's it's a similar experience standing in front of your works. Mm-hmm. You know, they're very large scale, and so you get a different experience when you're standing far away from them than when you're kind of at medium range and then close up. Mm-hmm. and. They are unlike abstract expressionists. They are based in realism, Mm -hmm. and you can clearly identify that this is a person that you're looking at, and if you knew that person, you would recognize them in most cases. But then they also cause you to well up with emotion and being completely immersed in the painting, and that is a real sense that I get standing in front of these works. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
another thing that I haven't mentioned or really don't even really discuss is uh, Walter Benjamin. He talks a lot about uh, art in the age of mechanical reproduction, and that's really what sparked the idea of painting for me. Because I'm always curious about and journeying through this idea of renegotiation and trying to add something back that I feel like is lost for the black body. And Walter Benjamin discusses the idea of aura and how because of the, the ability to produce and mass produce that art objects can lose that aura. And so for me, painting, painting over these black bodies adds that aura back and brings that specialness back that I feel like is lost for the black body. So one of the things that, that surprised me the most about walking into the gallery, so these, these pieces are just visually striking works. Mm-hmm. So even on social media or on your computer screen or whatever, they're very arresting. Mm-hmm. But you don't see the gold and the glitter when you look at it on the computer screen. And that really surprised me. And I love it, but it was completely <laughs> unexpected. And it made me think of the Catholic Church. It made me think of Renaissance, especially medieval and Renaissance, and even Byzantine, now that I'm thinking about it, the mosaics and, and the gold mm-hmm. aura and, and all of that. And as I've started to think about that, and as we're sitting here in this room with these smaller pieces that I described as like religious icons, they are, even the larger pieces have that sense. Mm -hmm. Is there an element of that, that spirituality or that influence that is also a part of these works? Yes, absolutely. My family, one, is very religious. And being a queer black man, that was something I had to figure out how to navigate as I got older, just because that acceptance is not obviously not there for us at all times. But also, I attended Catholic school for most of my life, and I was very obsessed with iconography and the ornateness of the churches and the ritual aspect of that church, and then also in comparison with the church that my family attended. And so those things were and have been in my life for so long that I think they can't help but come out in the work, and they're also things that I I appreciate very much. You also mentioned the word monotony mm-hmm. as something that was important to you about that experience mm-hmm. in Catholic school and in a positive way. And I'd love for you to talk more about that because I think most <laughs> people don't think of monotony as a positive thing. I think I know what you mean, but mm-hmm. I, would, I would love to hear more about that. <laughs> so I'm, there was just this comfort that I felt, especially during Mass or just any type of ritual that would occur. I don't know. It's, I really enjoy those quiet aspects of the church, the call and response. It just is something that I've clung to for my whole life. It, um, there are lots of moments where I don't and did not have peace, and those moments brought me peace. And now they echo in my technique. I always repeat the same steps. Both phases of this series of work, and I've looked a little bit at your previous work as well, and I think it's also true there. There's a a monotony in a good way Mm -hmm. to the work as well, that each piece is unique, but each piece also follows a certain form. And I don't know, for me, that allows me to focus more on the person in the work and the emotions that that particular work brings up. So another thing that you talked about is this idea of photography as truth Mm -hmm. and whether photography is true and what that means Mm -hmm. to you Mm -hmm. and why that 
is one of the reasons why photography is is what you're drawn to as a creative person. Mm -hmm. So could you talk about that a little bit more? Sure. So I, I think photography affords you the ability to present uh, your personal truth. And a lot of my life story is that I felt like I didn't have a voice and didn't really stand in a place of power to be able to do that. And so with that medium, I've been able to tell my story finally. And so that's why for me, photography is an important aspect of the work. And back to the gold for a minute. What led you to to use gold paint and glitter and you know to make these pieces that are about something that's that's very painful mm -hmm. really beautiful? It actually was sparked from an earlier series I did about queer black bodies and just I liken the black male body to precious material and it's just something that has now echoed and bounced into every series after that. I just and then it goes back to that conversation of aura. I just really, for me, it's about holding black bodies up on this pedestal and making them precious, but having them not exist as objects. So what's next? This work will continue until, I don't, I, I don't see it stopping. In earlier discussions, I would say that the work will continue until police brutality wasn't a problem, and I don't see in the foreseeable future when that will be. And just as an overall theme of my work, I'm always going to honor and uphold and push to the forefront the importance of self-love and self-care for the black body. So the work will never stop. Did I see something about maybe your work is going to the Biennale? Yes, it is. I will be in Venice uh, in May of 2019. I'm very excited to take this work international. That's fantastic. Congratulations. <laughs> That's so you. exciting. Well, Urban, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about this really beautiful and moving body of work. And I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to see it here in Richmond to brighten these January days. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's all for this episode of the Look See podcast. You can find all of our past episodes on our website, lookthensee.com, including conversations with photographer Chris McCaw, turntablist and DJ Maria Chavez, and painter Nancy Bloom. The podcast also lives on iTunes and SoundCloud. On our website, you'll also find a listing of visual arts happenings in and around Richmond and gorgeous videos that give you an insider's look into an artist's process. Take a look and then go see some art. The Look See podcast is produced by Look See, an online forum for the art curious in Richmond and beyond. Our theme music is by David Eastlick. I'm Paige Goodpasture, and thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.